Well, happy Easter, everybody. Hey, great to see you. Good to be together with you. You excited about Easter? Yeah, Easter's great, isn't it? River Glen is one church we meet in multiple locations, and so welcome everybody here in, in Waukesha. And uh, uh, join me, and let's give a big welcome to uh, everybody in, in Pewaukee and uh, those online. Uh, we love you guys, and uh, great to have you with us wherever you might be. Thanks so much for making River Glen part of your Easter uh, weekend. We don't really have a lot of traditions around here, but I want to begin with something that is a tradition in many churches all over the uh, world. But I'm going to need your help. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Many churches have this tradition on Easter where I say Christ is risen, and you respond and say he is risen indeed with a lot of Easter enthusiasm. All right, you guys ready for this? You up for this? All right, let's give it a try. Ready? Christ is risen. Hey, very good, very good. Let's do it one more time as if life or death depends on it, all right? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Very good, very good. Today we gather and we celebrate the amazing truth that Jesus is alive. Death did not have power over him. And what happened many, many years ago on Friday was not the end of the story. No, instead, resurrection, life overcame death and had the final say. Easter's all about life uh, because Jesus is alive. How can you not talk about that on Easter Sunday? Reminds me of a, a movie, uh, a well-known movie. You guys like movies? Anybody like movies? I like movies. Some of you might think, Ben, you're a pastor. You only listen to uh, Christian radio and watch religious broadcasting. No, no, no. I like movies. You know, I enjoy movies just like many of you. And so I want to give you a little quiz and test your movie knowledge and see if you can guess this movie. It's an older movie, but it's a, a very good movie. It's got a lot of violence, but it's historically accurate. I'm going to give you three hints, okay? This movie includes kilts and bagpipes, and it's about freedom. Somebody got it right down here. Yeah. Braveheart. Exactly right. In the movie, uh, William Wallace, played by uh, Mel Gibson in, in the movie Braveheart, he makes this profound, certain profound statement. It's so profound, actually, I went ahead and I did extensive research on this statement, which means I Googled it. And <laughs> I discovered that, you know what, we're not, we're not even sure if William Wallace actually uh, said this, which is kind of a bummer. We do know that Mel Gibson uh, said it. It's not quite the same. But here it is. I love this statement. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. I tell you what, if William Wallace didn't say that, he should have said that. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives lives. Now, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to assume that everybody here is alive uh, today. You know, your heart's beating, right? And uh, your brain is functioning. Your brain is engaged. Uh, do me a favor. Go ahead and put your hand on your chest. Uh, go ahead and, and put your hand there and, uh, you know, breathe in, breathe out. You feel the air coming in. You feel, you feel the air uh, going out. Uh, yeah, you're, 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 you're alive, right? But I'm not talking about that kind of alive. I want to know, are you truly living are you really alive? That's a tough question because we're always in hot pursuit of the life. You know, we're trying to figure out what does it mean to have real life. A few years ago, uh, my wife Marnie and I, we got to spend a few days in, in Southern California. One day we had a little free time and we went along the coast and we went through this the string of beach cities. Huntington Beach, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, and it was amazing. I think this was the most beautiful place that I've seen in our, in our country. I mean, uh, sunshine and blue ocean every day, upscale stores and restaurants, beautiful homes and yachts. I mean, you could like smell the money 
And I could tell myself, I could, I could feel myself beginning to think, you know what, if I lived here with this weather and this ocean, whew, that would be living. That would be the life. We all tend to think that way, don't we? Maybe you watch your, your boss at work, your boss comes in late, leaves early, and he's got the big office over there, and you know he's probably in there just watching YouTube videos or, or something. And you think to yourself, I don't, you know, I work hard, I work longer hours, and I get paid a fraction of, of what, what he gets. And you think to yourself, you know, if I had that job or if I had that office, that would be living. That'd really be living. Or maybe you look at someone else and you think, you know, if I could drive that car, if I could live in that house, if I had that marriage, that kind of marriage, or if I had those kids, that would really be living. That would be the life. And those things are nice. But when it comes to truly living, when it comes to having deep and lasting ultimate satisfaction, I'm suggesting those things are decoys. Those things are dissatisfaction in camouflage. Dissatisfaction in camouflage. Because many of us put our head on the pillow at night and we know something is not right. We know that something is missing in our life. And we've had enough experience to know that a bank account, even with another zero on it, that's not going to bring me true life. And friends, as important as friends are, friends are not going to make me truly alive. And marriage, as wonderful as marriage can be, it's not going to make me come alive. That dream job or beautiful home on the ocean is not going to make me truly alive. The truth is every man lives or every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And so here's the question I want all of us to, to wrestle with today. How do we get to the place where we can all say, you know what, I am truly alive. I am truly alive. Well, we find the answer in a letter a guy named Paul wrote. He wrote it to a group of people just like us. And in this letter, he actually says, I was made alive, this very thing. I was made alive in Christ. Now, we find this letter, it's called Ephesians, in the New Testament of the Bible. But before this letter gets hopeful... It starts out very bleak. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul begins this way. He says, once you were dead, once you were dead. Paul talks to all of us who are willing to acknowledge, oftentimes, I don't feel truly alive. I feel like, oftentimes, like something is missing in, in my life. And if that's you, if you ever feel that way, listen up. Because Paul goes on to explain, explain why he feels that way and why we often feel that way as well. He says, once you were dead... And here's why, because of your disobedience and your many sins, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Paul says, based on his own experience, it's our sin. Our sin is killing us, and it's leaving us, and it leaves us feeling dead. It keeps us from being fully alive. And I think many of us already know that, that sin is, is real. Here's what sin means. Sin is anytime I don't do stuff God wants me to do. And sin is, is, is chasing after things that I know won't bring me the ultimate satisfaction that only God can bring. I mean, let's be honest. If you have a toddler at home, if you have a two-year-old uh, toddler at home, you know that sin is real. Um, how many of you have a toddler, a two-year-old at home, or you had a two-year-old? Oh, yeah, quite a few. How could something be so cute and adorable and precious and get so mad and so uh, uh, loud right in the middle of the grocery store? When everybody else is, is looking at you. And we don't have to teach a toddler, you know, how to get angry or how to be selfish or ungrateful. We don't, we don't have to learn. Nobody has to teach us how to disobey. We're born that way. 
We're born with it. And many of us would admit, I try to find life in other places than God. And I, I don't know why I keep doing it, but I keep doing it. And it leaves us feeling dead. And it keeps us from being truly alive. But then we get to the solution. In verse 4, Paul says, but God. And I'm going to pause right there because I love it when God butts in. And I want you to notice when God butts in. It's, it, he doesn't butt in because we apologize to him for all the stuff that we did that he didn't want us to do. And he didn't butt in when we raised the white flag and say, we're really sorry, God. We're sorry for doing all the things you didn't want us uh, to do. Now we're ready for your help. No, no, no. God butts in while we were in the middle of screwing up our lives, while we were in the middle of doing things that he told us not uh, to do. That's when God decides to butt in and solve our problem. And here's why. It's driven by this next phrase. It's because God, look at this, is so rich in mercy. I love that phrase. I, I want you to get this. Uh, because notice, God doesn't just have mercy. He is mercy. Mercy defines God. He is rich in mercy. His mercy has layer after layer after layer. That reminds me of one of my favorite places to go for uh, dessert, the, the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, this is the uh, red velvet uh, cheesecake. Maybe some of you have had this. Look at this thing here. It's got a layer of red velvet cake, and then a layer of cheesecake, and then another layer of red velvet cake, another layer of cheesecake, and then it's got a layer of cream cheese frosting. And if that's not rich enough, it's got a dollop of, of whipped cream on the side. It's layer after layer after layer. And God's mercy is like that. God's mercy is rich. It goes on and on. It has layer after layer after, after layer. Do you know what the word mercy means? Mercy means second chances. God's willing to give you second chances again and again and again and, and again. And I know about uh, second chances. When my boys were, were little, when my boys were growing up, I remember they played uh, t-ball. You talk about a sport that is rich in mercy. T-ball is a sport that is rich in, in mercy. Anybody have kids or grandkids, nieces, nephews that played some t-ball? You ever seen a game of, of, of t-ball? Yeah, here's how t-ball works. They don't pitch the ball. They put the ball on a stationary rubber tee. And how many swings do the kids get in, in t-ball? They get as many swings as they want. And so the kid gets up there and, you know, Starts swinging. A kid might swing eight times, nine times, ten times. And the parents keep cheering. You know, good swing, Johnny. Good swing, Johnny. And I'm thinking he couldn't even hit the rubber tee right in front of him, <laughs> let alone the ball. And finally on the tenth swing, he hits the tee under the ball. You know, the ball barely falls forward into fair territory. The coach yells run. And Johnny might run all the way around the bases and score. If you've ever seen a t-ball game, God is a lot like that. You know, we go up there and one strike and another strike and another strike. And everybody looks at us and says, I can't believe this guy is still alive. I can't believe God keeps blessing him. We keep swinging and we keep swinging. Why? Because God is rich in, help me out, God is rich in mercy. God's rich in mercy. Other people shake their heads because we're swinging the 10th time, the 12th time. And somebody says, this guy has, has got to be out by now. And God says, he's not out until I say he's out, keep swinging, slugger, because God is rich in mercy. He's so rich in mercy. Ephesians 2 continues, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life 
when he raised Christ from the dead. And this is where Easter intersects with what we're talking about because there's an interesting twist in this verse. God raised Jesus from the dead, but it gives life to us. God resurrected Jesus from the grave, but it gives life to us. Not just heart beating, not just lungs breathing, but truly alive, true living. In fact, that's why Jesus came into this world. In John 10, 10, Jesus explains his mission. He just lays it out and he says, here's why I came. I've come that they may have life, not just you know, heart beating, lungs breathing. No, 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 but have life to the full. So what is it that makes us fully alive? How do we get that experience? I think that's what Easter is all about. Jesus making us fully alive. I wanna get very practical with you. First of all, Jesus offers us life with an eternal hope. Life with an eternal hope. Paul explains this in the very next verse in Ephesians chapter two. He says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The experience of death, whether the death of someone that you love, somebody close to you, or the fear of dying, the fear of, of death, it's one of those things that keeps us from feeling truly alive, from, from, from being truly alive. You, you can't really live until you deal with this fear. I remember the first time I experienced the death. I was a teenager and my grandma had a heart attack. And uh, there, there was so much damage, they, they couldn't really do anything for her. They put her in ICU. She kept fighting, she kept struggling, and we kept praying and hoping that she would recover until we got a phone call at 2 a.m. And they said she wasn't doing very good. And so my mom and dad and I, we got in the car, we rushed down to the hospital in Milwaukee. We walked into the intensive care. The nurse said two words to my mom, I'm sorry. And I've never seen my mom react this way. She almost fell down. My dad had to hold her up. It hit all of us, hit us hard. One of the saddest moments in, in my life. And I carried that sense of death with me until her funeral a couple days later when I heard the message explained, this message that Paul shares with us in Ephesians, that we have eternal hope in Jesus and my grandma is with Jesus in heaven. Knowing that brought life. As a pastor, I've, I've attended and participated in dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals, but you know what? I can put all the funerals into two categories, two types of funerals. Those where you walk away with a sense of death, okay, this is it, it's over, and those where you leave with a sense of life, this is not the end. I'll never forget a funeral ceremony. It was in this room about two years ago for a friend of mine, lifelong friend, Don Gibbs. He was in his late 50s, and he had a heart attack, and he died suddenly. It was very sad, very difficult. But several people got up in this room, and they spoke about the comfort and the joy from knowing that Don is in heaven. Like Paul says here, Don was raised from the dead along with Jesus and seated in the heavenly realms. Because when Jesus came back to life that first Easter, he didn't just conquer the grave for himself. He conquered death for, for you and for me and for Don Gibbs. This might sound surprising, but... At that funeral ceremony, there were so many stories and so much joy and laughter. Afterward, I remember the muscles in my face hurt a little bit. You ever have that happen after you, because you laugh for so long, so hard, you know, your face hurts a little bit? That, that's what happened to me at Don's funeral. Because Jesus gives us confidence that we live eternally and we can celebrate, even at a funeral. And when you can live that way every day, that brings life. That is truly life. Another way Jesus brings life is by offering us 
Life without regrets. Now, I know it's popular to say I have no regrets. You probably heard people say that. I've heard people say that. Some people even get it tattooed on their arm, like this guy right here. But I'm telling you, after he had that tattoo, I think he had a regret, a regret, <laughs> right? We all do. We all do. If you're breathing and if you're honest, you have some regrets. Some of them happened yesterday. Some of them happened last week. Some of them maybe happened years ago, and they can follow you. Now, when I say regrets, there are different kinds. In the book, Starting Over, they talk about three kinds of regrets. The first kind are regrets of action, things I wish that I had not said or done. And then second would be regrets of inaction, things I wish I would have said or done. And I think oftentimes we stop there. We think those are the only two kinds. But there's actually a third kind of regret, regrets of reaction. Some of our regrets start with something hurtful that was done to us. And we react to betrayal or abuse or neglect or rejection. Sometimes regrets of reaction over things that happened to us, sometimes those are the ones that hurt the worst. And all of these regrets can follow us and haunt us for months and years. But take a look at what Paul says next and keep something in mind. Paul had regrets. Paul put innocent people to death probably haunted him every day. And I think that gives extra meaning and power to these words. Paul writes, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Now the word grace here is very powerful. Here's what it means. It means unearned forgiveness, undeserved forgiveness. Here's what God says to every one of us right now through these verses. He says, if you'll receive this grace that I extend to you, no matter what you've done, and no matter how many times you've done it, remember, swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss. No matter how many times you've done it, God says, you can find grace and forgiveness and freedom from all your regrets in me. But here's how we can screw this up. Grace is not because of our hard work. Grace is not because we've done enough good deeds. It's a gift from God because God is rich in mercy. And when we finally receive that grace, it means all this stuff that follows us and haunts us and makes us feel less than and brings shame, it all goes away. It all goes away. And when you get freed from your regrets, no matter, no matter what they are, wouldn't you agree? That would bring real life. That would bring full life. In a few moments, you're going to hear a story from someone in our church who carried a hurt, carried a regret for 40 uh, years until she found grace and forgiveness. But there's still more good news. Here's the third way Jesus makes us come alive. He offers life with a clear purpose. I want you to think about how this can all come together in your life because when you feel afraid of the future because of death and you feel stuck in the past because of regrets, when you have those two things pulling on you, there, there's no way that you feel fully alive in the present with a clear, with a clear uh, purpose. You feel so preoccupied with the past and afraid of the future, you miss out on great opportunities that God has for you in the present. That's why you got to deal with the future. you got to deal with the past before you can really live in, in the present. Mark Twain has a famous quote about this. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you discover why. Here's why. Here's how you discover the, the, the why. Paul says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance 
for us to do. Notice this word handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. You are, you are handcrafted by God for a purpose in this life. I actually think the word masterpiece is a better translation than the word handiwork. You're, you're God's artwork. You're God's masterpiece, but not the kind of masterpiece that you just put on the wall, you hang it on the wall and admire it. No, no, no. No, the kind of masterpiece, he says, that God has prepared ahead of time. God says, I've got specific good deeds meant for you that only you can do. In other words, when God birthed every one of you, God birthed you with a dream for the difference that he wants you to make in this world. And I'm telling you, when you're not afraid of the future and you're freed from your regrets in the past, you can discover your role in restoring God's dream for the world. And when that happens, you really come alive. It makes you come alive. I want to introduce you to Lisa Pierce from our church. She started attending River Glen a couple of years ago with her husband Dave and her son Jake. And God really started working in her life and in her family. Take a look. I'm Lisa, and I've been coming to River Glen for about two and a half years. We were going to another church for a lot of years and um, just started to fall away from our faith. And um, we ended up not even going to church for, for quite a while. Um, and it was uh, Christmas of 2016. My youngest son, Jake, was going through a difficult time. And uh, at Christmas time, he came up and he asked if we wanted to go to church with him. But his only request was that we go to River Glen and not the church we've been going to. So, um, and he cautioned me to, to keep an open mind and it was going to be different than what I was used to. So we went to service and after the service, Jake said, so what did you think, Mom? And I said, well, you know, that was the most beautiful Christmas service I'd ever been to. And, and honestly, it was. Um, Ben's message was, was so powerful and it spoke to me. So um, we were all excited about it and decided that you know, we're gonna go to the next Sunday and we've been coming to River Glen ever since. It's no longer a question of, are we going to church, but what service are we going to? We are going to church, and it's part of our Sunday, every Sunday. So one major event that happened in my life um, led me to the path of forgiveness. Um, about 40 years ago, there was something that really impacted me in a negative way. And I've been holding on to that for over 40 years, and um, it had really gotten to me. And my son Jake knew the pain and the hurt that I was going through and actually initiated forgiveness and he actually guided me through that. So through his help, I was able to forgive that person and get past it. I actually went to that person's graveside and was able to tell him I forgive him. Jesus died for us. He died for our sins. He forgives us. He gives us that grace. And if he can do that, and who am I to not forgive? So after a time of coming here, um, and we shared our experience with my stepfather, and um, he saw how excited we were, and he was interested, you know, what we were excited about. So he started coming to River Glen, and he doesn't have a strong background of religion, and um, when he started coming, he really liked it. And um, my mom was always concerned, when she was alive, she was always concerned that he hadn't gotten baptized as a child and that he would not go to heaven. Oddly enough, um, baptism was on June 3rd, which is the anniversary of my mom's passing. And when we saw that date, we knew we had to do that. 
So on June 3rd of 2017, my stepdad and I both got baptized. And I told him that my mom's anniversary of passing and going to heaven was the day he received the promise of going to heaven. And I know that my mom is smiling down on us. I know that um, she's happy that he's part of Riverland. My brother passed away a month ago today and um, was a very difficult, painful time. Through that time, I had my small group, the rooted group, praying for me, my brother um, praying for him, and a lot of my friends and family praying for him, and I prayed for his strength to get through this illness with hopefully a positive outcome. Um, while that didn't happen, I know I have any unanswered questions that someday I, I hope to have the answers when I'm called home. It's been a real privilege, a sacred privilege to get to know Dave and Lisa Pierce in our rooted group. Lisa knows what it means to not just be alive, but to truly live. Because the one that we celebrate today is truly alive. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to make every person here truly alive. And so I have a few challenges for you today. First of all, identify your next step to truly live. Here's something that everybody in the room has in common. It might be your first time here. Uh, maybe you've been coming 20 years. doesn't matter. God has a next step for every one of us to truly live. Uh, here's something I think that would help. Do me a favor. Would you take out the welcome card? I think it's in the seat back. It looks like this. It's in the seat back in front of you. Go ahead and, and take that out and uh, look that over. This card can help you identify your next step to truly live. There's several possible next steps listed. Maybe... Maybe you have a prayer request. Write it down. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you'd like to join a group. Connecting in a group really helped Dave and, and Lisa Pierce. Maybe you'd like to find out more about getting your kids involved. Maybe today you decided to follow Jesus. Maybe your next step is baptism. Fill out that card. Drop it in the offering bag later in the service, and somebody will send you information or call you. Uh, later on this week. Or if you want to talk to somebody today, just stop at the Welcome Center, the Connect Call. We have, pe we have people that would love to talk with you. We have people that would love to, to pray with you. God has a next step for every person. And if you take that step, uh, it'll help you come alive this Easter. Here's another challenge. Come back next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to begin a new series. And we're calling this series, I Believe in God, but... And the, and the reason is because... Almost 90% of people say that they believe in God, but for most of them, there's a question, there's a hesitation, there's a concern attached uh, uh, to it. Now, I'm not saying that we have all the answers, but come back next weekend, and we are going to dig for explanations for the most common doubts and questions and concerns. And maybe God will use this series uh, to take some of those doubts and questions that you have and help you set those aside so that you can move forward and truly uh, live. And maybe it'll, it'll, it'll equip, equip you to help somebody else to truly live. I'm, I'm really excited about two weeks from today. Uh, we have, uh, a couple years ago, we scheduled one of the best speakers in the world uh, to come and speak on a big question, is there proof for the resurrection of Jesus? His name is, is Jay Warner uh, Wallace. Take a look at this video.
Some of you may remember about two years ago, we had Jay Warner here, and he spoke, and he did such a great job. He's an incredible speaker that uh, we, right away we decided, let's in, in, invite him and back. And uh, two weeks from today would be a great weekend to invite somebody to come with you, especially someone who has questions about Jesus. Now, we had a little surprise this past week. Jim called us and let us know that he is uh, recovering from an illness, and uh, doctor's orders He's not going to be able to come in two weeks and speak to us like we planned. But fortunately, he sent us a video of the exact message that he was going to share with us on that weekend. I watched it, and it is, I think it's the best talk that I have ever heard on this subject. And I can't wait for you to hear his, his message. And that weekend, we're going to give away 100 free copies of his uh, books. Uh, here, here, here they are. Here's, a, here's an example. Here, here, there's two copies up here. Uh, these are the two books that we're going to have available that weekend. We're going to give away 100 of those for free because we just believe he has such a powerful message about uh, Jesus. If you don't get one of the free copies, we're going to have lots of Jim's books uh, for sale in the lobby at, at cost. So don't miss Jim Wallace in two weeks and be sure to invite somebody to come with you. It might change their life. And then third challenge, I want to invite you to share communion with us today. Our communion is open to anybody who says yes to Jesus, yes to his resurrection, and yes to the new life that he offers. But here's what happens. Sometimes people say yes to Jesus, and then they say no to communion. They say, I'm going to pass today. I don't feel worthy today. I have uh, you know, chased other things, and I've disappointed Jesus so much. I've just got too many struggles in my life right now. But listen, that's why we need communion because none of us are worthy on our own. We all struggle with sin. This is not about our worthiness. Communion is about God's love and grace and mercy. Remember, God is rich in mercy. I would encourage you during communion to say, Jesus, I have sinned and I need your mercy. And then afterward, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being rich in mercy. A friend in our uh, rooted group shared with us something that he does. I'd never heard this before that helps make communion extra meaningful uh, to him. He likes to save the communion cup from Easter, and he puts it somewhere that he, that he sees it. He said, I like to keep the communion cup, and it helps me to remember what Jesus did throughout the week. After, you, after we take communion, we have cup holders in front of you in, in most of the uh, seats, and you can put your used communion cup there. Now, we don't wash these. We don't reuse these. I mean, we just throw these things away. And so if you want to keep it, feel free uh, to keep it as a reminder uh, during the week. Empty cup, 
means fully alive, just like the empty tomb means fully alive. I'm going to pray for us, and then during this next song, they're going to pass the uh, communion trays down your row. Go ahead and take a double cup out of the tray, and I want you to hold it. We're going to share communion a little differently today since it's Easter. Uh, Hold the communion cups, and then during this next song, in Pewaukee, Dave's going to come up and lead you to take communion together, and here in Waukesha, I'll come back up, and I'll lead us to take communion together. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that none of us would be satisfied with walking through life, never knowing how to truly live. But God, that we take you up on your offer to bring, to bring us life to the fullest. That you show us how to have hope for eternity. That you show us how you can release us from regrets, no matter how great they are from the past. And you can open us up to a real purposeful present where we can make a difference for you. God, I pray that's true for every one of us here this Easter Thank you so much for the opportunity to share communion and experience your love and your victory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.